0: Welcome to Invisible Arts with Richard Gibbs, brought to you by Armory of Harmony.
1: Bob Marley once said this, Bob Marley isn't my name. I don't even know my name yet. So that's the name of this episode. I don't even know my name yet. I have noticed over the years that the most exotically and musically named Oscar nominee for best score tends to be the winner. Perhaps it is our prejudice for the foreign when it comes to orchestral music.
2: And the Oscar goes to Gustavo Santaolalla, <laughs> Jan A.P. Kazmar, Enio Morricone,
3: Miklos Rocha.
2: John Corigliano Alexandre Desplat <laughs>
4: Dario Marianelli
2: Gabriel Yarev
4: Nino Rota and Carmine
0: Coppola Jonas Law Luis Enrique Bacalov
2: Maurice Jacques Michel Legrand Giorgio Moroda Nicola Piovani, Michael Giacchino Ludwig Gorazin
4: Uh-oh Ryuichi Sakamoto Hildur
3: Gradotier
1: Maybe the name maketh the man or woman Anybody who has ever started a band knows that often the toughest test of that ensemble's compatibility is coming up with a name. In fifth grade, I formed my first band with Jim Sanderson on drums, me on guitar, and Kenny Green singing lead and playing guitar. We played Gloria. Most daringly satisfaction by the stones 10-year-olds singing i can't get no satisfaction
4: i can't get no
1: satisfaction i can't get no back then just being in a rock band at least in my father's house was an act of sedition So the name needed to reflect that, as far as I was concerned. In March of 1966, Life magazine published a very colorful and surreal cover with these breathless words. The exploding threat of the mind drug that got out of control, LSD. My fifth grade small town brain had no concept what LSD was, but I knew one thing. It scandalized my father. That was good enough for me. I came up with the name, The Living Souls of the Dead. Get it? L-S-D. And we spelled it out with electrical tape on Jim's bass drum. His parents caught into what we were up to and made him take it off or he was out of the band. Only in fifth grade, and I had my first experience with censorship.
2: One pill makes you larger, and one pill makes you smaller.
1: I played in a never-ending series of rock bands beginning in 7th grade. I named one Truth. Then I came up with the name Icarion, after the myth of Icarus, the guy who flew too close to the sun with his wings made of feathers stuck together with wax. The wax melted and he plummeted to the earth. By this point I had switched to playing organ as I was a much better keyboardist than guitarist. I joined Red Weather. Junction Plateau. At Berkeley College of Music, I co-founded the world's loudest jazz fusion band. In the book A Clockwork Orange, the author, Anthony Burgess, who was also a linguist, had made up a language of slang lingo used by a street gang in the dystopian future. Yarbles was their word for balls, as in testicles and sheer masculine fortitude. Perfect. I dubbed the band Yarbles. I moved to L.A. to find fame and fortune and found my way into the strange and wonderful band Oingo Boingo. I never really considered where the name came from. Danny Elfman, our lead singer, wanted everyone to have a single name on the back cover of our first album. I used Ribs, a spoonerism of my name. I called Danny recently to have him tell the story of Boingo's moniker.
3: It's really not much of a story. Hey, right out
1: of high school, you took a year off and traveled across the world, right?
3: When I left for Africa, my brother was working in the Grand Magic Circus in Paris, a musical theatrical troupe. Okay. And they actually got me on stage with them for a tour for a month. Okay. And when I came back a year later, my brother had moved back to L.A., and founded the mystic knights of the oingo boingo and he named it the name mystic knights comes from an old radio show called amos and andy okay amos and andy had a lodge called the mystic knights of the sea okay oingo boingo just popped into their heads and it seemed like very zap comics the word boing or you know is something you'd see in prominently in zap uh-huh as the Arkrum comics, you know, it was just some crazy name, Oingo Boingo, that they came up with. So it was the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo.
1: single was initially signed to IRS Records, which stood for International Record Syndicate. The label had been set up by Miles Copeland, older brother of Stuart Copeland, the founder and drummer of The Police. Their other brother, Ian, formed Frontier Booking International, FBI, who booked us and the police, amongst others. And we were managed by another company started by Miles called Los Angeles Personal Direction. LAPD. I had always assumed all of these names were a martial homage to their father, who was one of the founding agents in the CIA, for real. I gave my old friend Stuart a ring to hear the official story of the naming of the police.
0: Uh, I had the name of the band before I had a band. And not only that, there was a manifesto. Uh, we don't care about fame and fortune, we just want to play music that we like, which is absolutely laughable because it was so far from the truth. it was. We were a punk band by design, not by, because we liked the music, but because that was what was happening. The only way you could get anything going was by cutting your hair. And uh, <laughs> the punk scene was the only scene that was happening. So we were utter mercenaries and charlatans and carpetbaggers. <laughs> I've got, actually, all my notebooks and diaries from that period. I've got all these bandmates. Incinerators. Artillery, machine gun, teeth, Lurex, rubber teeth, London teeth, youth, pogrom, and night hill London, naked, hypochondria, police, grand larceny, assault, one chord trick, wait a minute, go back a few there. Police. We've got a circle around
1: it. I've always told everybody that all of those—the name of the band and LAPD and FBI and IRS were all tie-in to CIA because your dad was in the CIA.
0: No, no. Well, that might have been in Miles' mind, but the, the police was the police. Rocks.
1: a name is just imposed on you. C.J. Vanston is a celebrated keyboardist, producer, songwriter and composer who's recorded and performed with everybody under the sun and moon. Prince, Barbara Streisand, Ringo Starr, Celine Dion, Tina Turner, Joe Cocker, Toto, and Spinal Tap. I asked him what C.J. stood for, assuming his full name was something embarrassing that he wanted to hide like Camel Joe Vanston or Charleston Jasper Vanston III.
2: Uh, I grew up in an all-white town in Michigan, and I was a classical pianist when I was about 13, and competed and did all that, and was supposed to go to college and study piano and study music, which I wasn't interested in. I was too busy uh, doing bongs and listening to Yes and ELP and Jethro Tull and Zappa. I'll be the rock. So, that summer before I was supposed to go to college, I snuck into a club. I saw a black horn band named SunQuest. They just changed my whole world. It was just mind blowing. Cool in the gang arcades Parliament, Earth, Wind and Fire, Isley Brothers. They yep. were just amazing. I looked at the dance floor and that how much the girls dug it, you know. The music I was listening to was great, but it was stuff that that dudes, you know, like this was making everybody dance and everybody joyous. You don't dance to yes, you know? Well, some people probably do, but it's uh, not something you want to see. It's not something you want to witness. So did the guys in SunQuest ever hear your band? The lead singer was checking me out. I finished my set. I tried to do all my cool funk stuff, didn't press him. I hit my little Mutron and did my wash shit on the roads, And I looked up and he was gone. I thought, well, how would he walk out in the middle of my set? So I walked off the stage and I didn't know what to do. And he's standing right there blocking my way. And he puts his finger in my chest and he says, Y'all playing with us now. (laughs) So I sold the car my dad got me for graduation. I bought a Mini Moog. I blew off college and I got on a yellow school bus with 10 brothers and hit the road. My real name is Jeff, Jeffrey. Come to find out there's two other Jeffs in the band. There was a race driver back then named A.J. Foyt. He was kind of the, the guy. Oh, yeah. He won Indy four or five times. and Well, this guy could not drive. So, of course, he gets named A.J., the worst driver in the world. Next, Jeff, is B.J., Black Jeff. Okay. Then it comes to me, Caucasian Jeff. <laughs> That's where I got C.J. Caucasian Jeff and I thought well there's no way this is gonna stick (laughs) yeah well everyone has called me that ever since even without knowing what it stands for
1: next up is the legendary Jeff Skunk Baxter Skunk had already told me that he's holding back the derivation of his nickname for his upcoming memoir so I just zeroed in on a couple of his bands namely Steely Dan and the Doobie Brothers by the way Most people don't know that Mr. Baxter actually makes more money these days as a tech consultant for the U.S. Defense Department and other government agencies than he ever did as a rock star. True story. Look it up. FaceTime
2: audio.
4: Hello.
1: Mr. Skunk Baxter, (laughs) what is the origin of the name Steely Dan? Well... We were all sitting around trying to figure out a good name for a band, and we had two names.
0: One was Steely Dan, and then the other was Big Nardo in the eighth grade. <laughs> we liked Big Nardo in the eighth grade. The only problem was uh, it was so long that we might have a hard time really making it look good on an album cover. So we went with Steely Dan, and in the novel Naked Lunch, uh, there were three Steely Dans, and Steely Dan the third was a steam powered chrome dildo so i don't know we all thought ah, that's
1: kind of cool and I'm never
2: going back to my old
1: school. check out jeff's epic guitar solo on this old steely dan tune So you were named after a steam-powered chrome dildo. Well, yeah, of course. Well, how about the Doobie Brothers? I mean, you weren't a founding member, but you were a member. I believe
0: somebody was sprinkling marijuana on their cereal or something, and so the story goes, and somebody said, we're all Doobie Doobie Brothers.
1: Do- Last for now is my dear friend and co-composer of songs and score for Queen of the Damned, Mr. Jonathan Davis, lead singer of the groundbreaking band Corn. I wouldn't let John tell the story of his band's name as it is just too disgusting. I won't even repeat it in private, and I can be quite rude.
4: Hard to hit Give me ten minutes. I was out on my my uh, run. <laughs> no problem. I'll call you back in ten. All right, buddy. Thanks. Okay, bye.
1: <laughs> For those of you who are listening closely, you might have noticed Jonathan called me hard just now. That was my nickname in corn. One of my road cases were floating around that said Richard Gibbs and stencils on it, and the cases were kind of stacked up in such a way that. The R I C was blocked. It looked like my name was Hard Gibbs, and Jonathan thought that was funny, and it stuck. So ever since then, anybody that's associated with corn just simply calls me Hard. Are you ready? So Jonathan. How did you arrive at the name Korn?
4: We were going to either name the band Korn when we told our manager, Larry, he's like, there's no fucking way you can name your band Korn. So we're like, okay, well, fuck you. Then we're going to name the band Larry. You choose. <laughs> no, we're not going to have a cool, mysterious band name. Like We can make any fucking thing cool just by the music being cool. Mm-hmm. I think Korn's the dumbest ass name ever.
1: Sorts of versions of where the name came from out there. Yeah, and they're all bullshit, right?
4: It really came from a disgusting story, but no, I remember you told me. Yeah, story. I told you the story, but it's like <laughs> that was the that was <laughs> the catalyst that made us go, "Oh, let's call it corn. Because you were cracking each
1: other up every time you said it, right? That yeah, you would all dis- yeah. it would it would cause all of you to go, "Oh,
4: yes, yes yeah." It was like a full, it was disgusting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It was funny. It's funny now just thinking about it. <laughs> uh,
4: I guess we'll, we'll just have to let the listeners try to figure out what the hell. I mean, they can go online. You can figure it out. We were so out of our minds then. We were just against everything. Everybody in the middle would wore tight pants and tight shit, and we wore loose baggy stuff and little sports. We were always going against around everything. Mm-hmm. You want us to go left, we're going to go right. Yeah, yeah. And that was kind of how it all came together. You know, you've worked with us. You know how we roll. <laughs> <laughs> Very well. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we are. It's some like crazy punk just attitude. We're gonna do what we want and forget everybody else. Where did the backward R come from? Because me and Richie were talking about it, and we wanted it to be like a little child, mm. so that's why it's spelled with a K and then the backwards R. It was like a, a little kid spelled it, and the whole vibe and the artwork is like the the hidden evil of innocence and childhood stuff, like. You know, I got a crazy haunted doll collection, dolls, and childhood's very scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, yours was, that's for sure. Definitely. So where did Fieldy come from, the name? Fieldy, his nickname was Garfield because of the cat, because of his enormous cheeks. He looked like Garfield. Come on
2: in, it's time party with Garfield and friends. Garfield
4: and friends.
2: The cartoon show to watch when you won't settle for just any cartoon
1: show. <laughs>
4: okay. When Korn took off, and made it Fieldy. Okay. And that's where he got that. And then monkey got he called him Chimpy. He looked like a Neanderthal. He has that hard brow. And like with his feet, he could pull his feet out and like extend all his toes off. He's like a hand. That's how he just got the nickname Monk. And then head, head just because he's got a ginormous head. He's uh-huh. got its own weather system. <laughs>
1: ago, I was hired to write a replacement score for the movie Once Upon a Crime, after the previous composer's work was deemed inappropriate. The producer was the one and only Italian master of the silver screen, Dino De Laurentiis. The movie was based on an older Italian caper comedy called Crimin. Dino was thrilled with my very melodic Italiano style score. He even jumped up in the middle of his first private viewing of the almost finished product, pointed at me and said, genius. went to lunch with the music supervisor, Jolene Cherry, while we were finalizing the film's mix. I asked her why the preceding composer on the movie had been hired to score this lighthearted comedy, as he was known only for his very dark and twisted scoring talents. She laughed and said it was because Dino had insisted on hiring an Italian composer, and this gentleman had a very Italian name. "You're kidding," I said. "That guy was born and raised in Brooklyn." I immediately contacted the editor of the movie, I wanted to change my name in the credits at the beginning. He said, "Sorry, you are one day too late." So Ricardo Gibzoni is still seeking his first film credit.
0: Visible Arts is produced at Woodshed Recording in Malibu, California. I'm Mystic Marley.